Hey, welcome to Life in the Leadership Lane. I'm your host, Bruce Waller, where I get to talk to leaders that are making a difference in the workplace and in our community. What did they do to get started and what are they doing to stay there today? Oh my goodness, you're in for a treat. I have another special guest. Her name is Mary Dale. Mary is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Convivial Brands. She's certified with her PHR, her SHRM CP. Mary, I'm so excited to have you on the show. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Okay, so I always like to start the show by reflecting on how I met my guests when they came into my path. And for you, it was, uh, I call it the power of moments. So we were in New Orleans at SHRM National Conference, and we were having dinner at the SHRM Influencer Dinner. And that's the first time I met you. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. It was a great dinner. That Lots was- of really awesome minds in one room. Yeah, it, it was very loud. <laughs> it was very loud. It was so much fun. And so would you, let, let me just start, like, what'd you think about the uh, SHRM National Conference? You know, I loved the SHRM National Conference. I actually got to experience it not only as a volunteer leader um, for the, because I serve on the board here at my SHRM, but I also got to experience it through an executive network lens as well. So um, not only was I attendee, a volunteer attendee, but also an EN network attendee. And that was a whole different experience um, in and of itself. But I have to say that I have never went to a SHRM conference and have ever had a bad experience. In fact, I feel like every year it just gets better and better. I meet more and more people and they're really my lifeline um, to HR and have been my entire career. So um, I loved it and I'm already looking forward to the visionary conference coming up here in October and then Vegas next year. So I'm super pumped. I love how you shared that. And I know we're going to talk leadership. We're going to, oh man, we're going to talk all things HR, but you said something just now about lifelines. How important is it to have those lifelines? Talk, talk for a second about lifelines. What what is that to you? You know, I think for me having a tribe of people and it's not just HR people, but the people who I can bounce ideas off of, learn from, share with, who on a bad day can pick up the phone and call, they can call me. It has been critical um, and really instrumental in my career because I did not start out as a traditional HR person. So um, I wouldn't be where I am today without those people who really poured into me, shared best practices with me um, and allowed you know me to share with them. And um, I wouldn't, like I said, be anywhere I am today without having went to my first SHRM conference, had my first SHRM membership. And I really, honestly didn't realize what that would do for my career. Um, But I also think it's what you make of it and how Mm. much you invest in it. It's not just about meeting people, but it's cultivating those relations, relationships, pouring into them, um, giving more than you receive back. And Mm. I think that I found that the people who I've poured into the most, who I thought I would never get anything out of those relationships, but it was just, they were wonderful people. I wanted to see them be successful they actually ended up giving more to me than I ever expected to get in return from them. So like I said, I don't know how any HR pro or any leader for that matter, who's in the C-suite, really it's lonely at the top. And so finding that tribe of people who get, who truly get it and are willing to work with you and, and kind of carry you through the hills and valleys, I think 
is so, so important. Oh my goodness. I have chills as you sit there talking about that. Hey, if you're listening, you might as well go ahead and get out your pen, get out your journal. <laughs> you're going to want to take notes. This is going to be so great. I want to hear more about the Mary Dale story. But before that, I would love for you to share, for those who don't know, Convivial Brands, would you share a brief highlight on, on your organization and how you serve your customers? Sure. So Convivial Brands is a parent company for five different organizations or, or brands under the umbrella. We have two wholesale uh, companies um, that supply product across every all 52 states. We have employees in all 52 states, whether they're W-2, 1099. Um, but we, we work with vendors uh, in different countries to not only create prod products, but to manufacture products that we've created, um, both in the paper table and um, the home decor areas. And then we also have a printing company. So we print mm. for our own business, but we also print for other companies uh, globally. And then we have a local business, which is our events venue called the High Five Grand Rapids. So we host weddings, galas, um, conferences for different organizations in the West Michigan area where our company headquarters is. And then lastly, we have a direct sales business um, where we have individuals from all over selling our products and supporting them through their own entrepreneurial um, spirit and the things that they're looking to do with their own careers. But all of our businesses are designed to make life better, not mm. only for the consumers, not only for our customers, um, so those wholesale or retailers, but also to make life better for our employees as well as our communities. So um, it's really fun to work for a brand, convivial meaning joyful, um, but really that spreads happiness and joy in all the things that we do, turning simple occasions into what we call celebrations. So I love it. I'm joyful. You just sharing that. I mean, who doesn't, I mean, make life better. I mean, write that down. Just those three words are energizing uh, to me. I, I love that. And it sounds like a terrific company. Hey, let's, uh, let's hear about the Mary Dale story. Like, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Michigan and, and how in the world did you get into HR and leadership? <laughs> Yeah, so um, I was the baby of five, mm. and I grew up in the Detroit area, um, and my dad is actually 87, so my oldest sibling um, is getting ready to retire here soon, so growing up at 12 years old, my I remember my dad saying, Mary, I'm going to be retiring by the time you go to college, and so you know, I hate to tell you this, but we may not have enough money to send you, or we might be, you know, we might be on a fixed income at that point. All my siblings were getting their masters. One's a lawyer. So they were all, you know, going to Ivy league schools. And it was like, we're not really sure. So you really are going to have to get a job and save money for college. And so when I was 12, I remember getting a corporate job, um, at, AirTouch Cellular, which is now part of Verizon and was doing um, sales with their team there and cold calling. And um, I worked three jobs at once at one point and then eventually went and worked for my dad in concrete construction and was doing sworn statements and lien waivers and helping his accounts payable team with matching, coding and posting. And um, they had a 3000 person or somewhere around there construction crew during the summer. So I was doing job allocation or job cost um, depending on the types of contracts that they had, because each contract or government job has a different pay. And so um, 
saving money. And I remember when I was in high school, all the girls, I went to an all girls private school and they would say to me, Mary, let's go on vacation, quit your job. And I was like, oh, I really can't do that because I have responsibilities or I have to worry about paying for college. And I, my dad would put this list on a cupboard. Mary owes me for car insurance. She owes me for all the phone calls because I went to private school and people, you know, lived all over in a 40 mile, 50 mile radius. And so you were dialing and calling 313 or 810 and you were being charged by the minute. And I'd have this bill up. Mary owes me this. Mary owes me that. And I kept thinking, how am I going to even be able to afford to go to college, let alone paying these monthly bills at 16 years old? And what my dad did was he saved all that money that I thought that I wasn't going to have for college and invested it so that by the time I went to college, um, I didn't have student loans between getting great, good grades and getting scholarships, but also what was left, what he was doing was teaching me what I needed to do to be successful in life. And when there were obstacles, how to overcome them. And it was one of the greatest learning lessons that he could have ever taught me um, being a leader himself, but he taught me through not just telling me I needed to do this, but showing me how to do it and helping me make difficult decisions when other people were doing things that were more fun. And so um, I share that because I think having that corporate experience and being around professionals as a young adult and being able to, you know, watch and listen and learn um, and do a variety of things, sales, marketing, uh, accounting, um, you really start to see how to bring all of those skill sets together. So when I went to college, I wanted to be an IO psychologist, nothing. I didn't want to be like my dad only because, uh, while I wanted to be like him morally and ethically, I did not want to work in the world of construction back then. I was like one of the only females, um, that were working there. And while it was fun. It also was a challenge working for one of the executive's daughter, you know, being the executive's daughter at 16, um, you got razzed a lot. So um, wanted to be an IO psychologist, went off to college. And when I got to my senior year, um, they charged you for 16 credit hours, regardless uh, if you had 16 left to take. And so I created my own course um, because I only had eight left to take my senior year and worked with the career services department and partnered with them on their job fair and creating all of the materials and how to recruit, um, like kind of like a whole outline of how to recruit students, a training manual of how they should behave, what they should do, working with employers. And believe it or not, it was funny, I was talking to somebody 20 years later, um, that manual is still in use today at the university for all of their job fairs. but. Through that, I met different employers and was invited to join an organization my junior year. Um, and they waited for me until I graduate and became a um, management trainee. Mm -hmm. And about, I would say a year into it, they were gonna be shutting down that particular office or location. And I was on my HR rotation and I had a really awesome search firm approach me. I wasn't really looking. I didn't know anybody in the West Michigan community. And they said, you know, we're looking for a search recruiter for accounting and finance. We'd love to talk to you. We've never hired anybody who hasn't been a CPA, controller, or CFO, um, but we've been told all about you and we'd like to talk to you. So 
that's really where I kind of got involved in HR, spent five years, won a trip to Monte Carlo, was one of their top recruiters. And I mean, life was really, really going awesome. And uh, one of my clients who happened to be an orthopedic surgeon's office had four of their locations that were getting ready to merge together as one. So four separate entities. And they were looking for an HR director to replace their current director. They didn't feel like that individual could take them to the next level. And so I was looking for um, an HR director for them and interviewing so many different people. And I finally had one of the doctors and their CFO come to me and say, we'd like you to interview for this position. And I'm going, I'm not qualified for an <laughs> HR director. Like, are you kidding me? Um, and at the time I was pregnant. And so I'm going through this whole interview process. There was about 47 male owners. I was the only youngest female there at the table. And I remember him saying, no, come in. It's 530 in the morning. There's 47 men, maybe absent. Maybe there were two absent um, around a table grilling me. Uh, about this position. And I remember thinking, why did I even show up to do this? What was I thinking? Um, but two days later, they were making me an offer and said, we'll wait till you have your baby and go on your maternity leave and then come in. And so um, I remember starting and being handed the keys to an office. There was nobody in HR to tell me anything. I had never worked in healthcare. I had recruited for them. Um, but I had to now figure out HIPAA, OSHA, OIG, compliance, and um, they're getting ready to do their benefits uh, renewal. And I had never done that. And so it was really tapping into my network that I had created to really kind of fast track myself and read and educate myself on how to quickly learn everything there was to learn about HR in a very short period of time um, so that I could get through and, and really show up. I mean, the doctors, I would say, are probably one of the most competent but most difficult people to work for because mm. when you have that many owners, you have to please them all. <laughs> so mm. you don't have wiggle room to mess up, to not follow through. Um, you have to be on your A game every single day. So that's how I got into HR. I was given an opportunity. Mm. There was a client who saw something in me. And um, quickly after I got there, about six months later, I was also the director of clinical and then became their hypnosia compliance officer on top of HR. Um, and that kind of moved me into my career into eventually being named as their COO. So um, it was one of the biggest risks I took in my life but it has been one of the most rewarding and really kind of where I got my start in, in HR and where I can say that I made many mistakes um, in leadership, but they're also the mistakes that have catapulted me and have made me a better leader as, as I've moved forward in my career. Oh my goodness. There is so much here, Mary. That is, oh, I love that. You know, I, I wrote down some keywords. And first and foremost, we're going to talk about mentors, but what a mentor in your father. That is yeah. a fantastic story, how you didn't tell you, but he showed you the way. Um, and you talked about your, your client believing in you. I think belief is so important. And then you talked about, you know, uh, doubt. 
the word doubt, like you're like, hey, how am I going to do this? There's 47 people I'm going to interview with. I haven't done this before. And I think we all experience that in some way. And then you finish with risk and failure. And I think all of these things that you talk about, people like that is just like everybody right now is writing that down going oh my gosh i've experienced that i've experienced that so as you share this i think that's going to help a lot of people um i, I want i want to ask you about mentors because you know you talked about your father and i i would love to hear like as these mentors are when you think back about some of the key mentors in your career mm -hmm. what were some of the things that you can remember that helped you get to where you are today? So I worked, so when I worked at the orthopedic group, I had yeah. two COOs who had probably 30, 40 years uh, of experience. One who had went to Harvard and the other who had worked in many clinics and had really taken them and helped the independent groups remain independent in a world where a lot of the healthcare systems are trying to gobble up those independent groups. And so they were two men um, who poured into me and invited me into meetings that I didn't necessarily need to be in, but helped me listen and, um, you know, would just say, come listen and actually mm -hmm. listen to hear. Don't try mm -hmm. to respond. Don't try to offer mm -hmm. your opinion, but really listen and watch and learn. And the, both of them lived out of state. So, what happened is they would be in a hotel for two days and then they would be gone for three days. So mm. I would become, Hey, Mary, can you go help out with this while mm. we're, you know, back home and believe it or not, everything that always went wrong went, went wrong <laughs> when they weren't there. So um, I kind of, yeah, I kind of became their you know, anytime they asked me to do something, even if I didn't have time, I poured in the extra time and hours and effort to say, yes, I was, yes, ma'am, even if I felt like, okay, how am I going to be able to manage all of this? I always said, yes, I was mm -hmm. always up for the challenge. I never said it wasn't my job. And as I started to say, yes, yeah. more opportunity came, but mm -hmm. with having some of that knowledge, I was able to become a strategic contributor because I could see things through different lens and a different mm -hmm. frame of reference that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. um, so that inclusion and really bringing me along, I didn't really recognize that they were mentoring me. Mm -hmm. um, there weren't, you know, you should have done this or you should have said this, but instead it was that they were growing me and giving mm -hmm. me opportunities so that um, I would have the ability to kind of have a seat at the table um, without even knowing it. Mm. So they were the two that I think really gave me that huge opportunity and poured into me. But I would also say my current owner and shareholder, who is the founder of our company, in the last three years that I've worked for him, I have grown both personally and professionally more than I ever thought I would. Mm. Um, and he really did it in a way that he helped me become a better mother, a mm. better wife. And so it wasn't that I wasn't a great leader, but where I was missing the mark is that I didn't have balance. And I would talk about wanting work-life balance and wanting mm. it for others. But when it came down to it, mm. I always put my job first. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that I was a terrible leader in the fact that I wasn't leading my family. I wasn't leading in other areas of my life. And when I was jeopardizing those things, 
um, the stressors that came along with it. And so I would say he has helped me become a better and more whole person. And in, in essence, I work less hours, but I get better results now because I feel like I'm pouring into all the things that matter in my life. And I think he really helped shape me being a true leader, not just saying, well, I'm great at this, but I'm failing in these areas. But really, you can't be a great leader if you're not hitting all the marks. So um, that has become something I would say I've grown in the, just in the last three years. I was, I was failing miserably and didn't even know it. I, uh, I know there's a lot of people right now listening that appreciate and really value what you said about, uh, but really both mentors. Uh, I love how you talked about saying yes and becoming, but, but, but with your current boss, like you use the word becoming more. And I think that's what we all want. We want to be more, not just in the workplace, but in our home. And that is really hard to do. It's really hard to balance, but uh, what I've found, and, and as I talk to different high performers, the thing that strikes me is they all have this purpose about them. Mm -hmm. They know what matters. They know what's important. And we don't always know that early in our career. Sometimes right. it's later in our career, right? I mean, for me, it, you know, it was 37 before I figured anything out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I want, I want to ask you about, because I think this relates to, I always like to ask about like, purpose like when did you when did you find your purpose like you have shared this journey that you've been on that's been absolutely incredible full of twists and turns and ups and downs but there's got to be a moment or maybe there were moments when you said I just love what I do and I know what my purpose is any, any thoughts around that so yes so I have had several major tragedies in my my life. I've had a house fire. Um, I've been very ill. I've lost family members. My son was very ill. And so through those tragedies, my husband, I think coins at best, he'll always say life's tragedies or life struggles will either make you bitter or better, weaker or stronger. And you have to choose. And, you know, a lot of people will say to me, like, I am so shocked when I share some of the stories of the things that I've been through in my life or the things that the people in my life have experienced and how I can have such a positive spirit about it. But what I have found is that there's always a purpose behind your journey and there's always somebody struggling far greater than you ever will. And so I'll, I'll use the example of the house fire. When I had my house fire, there was a couple that was living in a hotel because, you know, what people don't realize you have a house fire, you still have to pay for a mortgage uh, for the house that no longer exists or that you can't live in. Um, you have no pillow, you have no toothbrush, you have absolutely nothing. And you're starting completely over. And I remember living in a hotel and my husband and I are cats and our dog. And there was a family of five there and they didn't have insurance. And even though we had insurance and it didn't cover everything, I remember watching the struggle that they had and reaching out to them and finding out what resources, you know, were out there that could help them. And then later starting a fire foundation um, in that area. But in HR, I have found that 
there are team members who are struggling. They don't have the resilience and they don't have the ability to see the light at the end of the tunnel. They don't have that network sometimes of people that can support them or encourage them. And so being a leader, when you hear of a team member who has having a you know similar struggle where you can empathize and you can say, okay, everybody, we're going to get pancake mix and we're going to get mm. you know bacon and everybody's going to bring their griddles and we're going to cook and we're going to not only show our support, but we're going to ask for donations and we're going to be able to go to this family and say, here's 2000 or $3,000 in the midst of their struggle. Um, I love using the opportunity as an HR pro to really support our team members through life's greatest achievements, but their weakest moments. And I have found by focusing on how I can turn life's really most difficult moments in my life into ways to support and grow other people. Um, it's really what gets me excited and, mm. and ignites that passion. And when I see, you know, and it's not just in my workplace, but it's, you know, seeing other HR pro struggle or hearing somebody talk about a death in their family and being able to write a handwritten note and having something show up at their house or seeing somebody do something awesome in their career and being able to encourage them or send them something fun in the mail that they don't expect and watching the joy that they get from that. Mm. It's what ignites me to continue to do it more and more. And so I always get asked like, how did you last year during like the great resignation was your turnover 2%. Mm. And the reality is I didn't have some magic program, but it was really pouring into people and writing I, every month. I sit here and write handwritten birthday cards to every single team member. Sometimes it's a hundred, sometimes it's 300 from the month sending them celebration packages for their birthdays. If they have surgeries, you know, maybe a candle and a journal and a Grubhub gift certificate with stuff, fun stuff. When life gives you lemons and everything is lemon themed, but it's those little things that people are like, wow, someone's watching. Or I had a team member who's a sales rep who had her best mate ever in the history of working for our company. And I wrote her a note and I knew that she liked something special. So I made everything about what she loved. And she was shocked that someone at corporate, right? At the, you know, our corporate headquarters hmm. even knew that it was her best month ever, but actually handpicked stuff, remembering those conversations. And it's those little things when you think about people, all of us that matter, right? That someone was paying attention and they cared enough to think of us, right? Um, far too often people don't do those. Everything that you see on social media, someone's mm. knocking someone else down. And even if you're friends with somebody, how often do people share someone else's um, accomplishments or celebrate them mm. or reshare? They don't. Mm. And so if I can be that person that really lifts people up, that's what gets me excited. It's not really about when I receive, but the joy that I get from it. I feel like I get so much more out of helping or, you know, inspiring or getting people excited about themselves than I ever will out of any gift anybody could give me. So, um, selfishly, it's what fills my cup. I go online every day or I look for people in my network. You know, people say, well, what, what gets you inspired in the morning? We all get filled with negativity and, you know, all the things from when you're reading the news, et cetera. So I'm always looking for somebody who's struggling 
posted something on Facebook, posted something, one of those messages that seems kind of with a negative connotation on LinkedIn where you're going, this person's struggling. And I try to reach out and do something fun for them so that when they get in the mail, they're going, did she really just send me this? Um, and, and whether it's in my workplace or outside my workplace, I think making life better, right? And that's why working for a company where that's our mission, there's just true alignment there. Um, and it, it, that's what really fills my cup and gives me the purpose um, and helps me kind of inspire other people to do the same. Oh my goodness. I have like, I have chills right now, Mary. That is absolutely fantastic. I wrote down, you know, during life struggles, you can get bitter or you can get better, weaker or stronger. It's your choice. I love that you shared that. It is absolutely true. Um, I'm going to learn. I want to learn more about this fire foundation. That's fantastic. I, you know, one of the, and, 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 and lastly, the notes, I mean, I'm a big note writer. Like I get that. I, I write in my latest book, Life in the Leadership Lane, uh, the art of creating five-star experiences, right? When we go to a restaurant, it's a great experience. We'll go give them a five-star review. But how can we give our employees these great uh, five-star experiences? And here you're talking already about, you know, hey, you already do this. You're writing notes. I think that's one of the lost yeah, arts. Yeah, so you see all those bags behind me right there. Yeah. I have gifts already lined up. Um for a welcome gift, I have one for somebody who just had a death in her family and it, the whole theme of everything is just keep going. Um, with a can, I even had a candle custom made. Yeah. So, um, it's like I said, I always have something right ready, or if I know something's coming ready to go, but those are the ones, those are the three that are going out just, uh, tomorrow actually and there's a whole another office with the whole month's worth of things that are going out to different people to surprise them um but yeah it is I actually have an intern during the summer that helps me curate because I sometimes will even go as far as if someone has had a death in their family and they tell me that their grandpa loved had a rose garden I will have the sympathy card with the rose mm. and I will send them maybe a rose bush to plant in memory of their grandfather mm. so that they, they can remember. It's not, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, just send the flowers. That's mm. super easy, but taking it one step further and really listening and mm. hearing what people enjoy in life and remembering, mm. um, I would say, you know, going that extra mile matters. It really does. And, mm. um, when you invest in people, they give back mm. more than you ever will, you know, expect as a business um, because you're carrying them through life's craziest moments. And when someone mm. comes to them with a, you know, I'll pay you double or I'll pay you this. Um, but are you going to create that culture mm. and that experience that I experience every day where I get excited to come to work, that I'm not dreading Sunday because I'm thinking, oh gosh, mm. on Monday, what mm. am I going back to? Do I mm. have to see YA? Or is it a culture where I'm embraced and I can bring my whole self to work? I can, you know, make mistakes, but I can also celebrate achievements. Um, and so people get sometimes think I'm a little over the top and that's okay. Um, it's just something that, you know, I'm able to get people. I always laugh. I always go after the people who tell me this isn't really 
a good idea or it's not making a difference. And I work really hard to get them on board, especially as leaders. And it's fun to watch them transform um, and watch how their behaviors change and modeling those behaviors. So. Well, it's just like you said, it's making life better. You're really living the vision, the mission of the organization, you know, and in it's in alignment with your own personal values. I want to, I want to ask you a couple of questions, but, but one of the questions, everything you're talking about is leadership, right? You, you are, you are a connector. Like I can, like I'm, <laughs> I'm connected to all of this and you're, you're helping people. And as I hear you talk, you're helping people connect with something bigger, than coming to work to get a check, right? So if someone were to say, hey, Mary, you know, leadership, you're trying to maybe you're you're trying to help someone learn more, develop. What what how would you respond when someone says, hey, what is leadership to you? So I think leadership to me, you know, I think my favorite psychologist, because that was where I originally um you know, my passion really started. Um, John Maxwell talks about Mm. the five levels of leadership. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think for me, leadership isn't just a title. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, really, it's that pinnacle where you're not just making a difference in those you're mentoring, um, because it's not just about, okay, it's in it, what's in it for me, right? So you're, you're inspiring other people, and you're growing other people. But I think it really comes down to, and I'm trying to think of what he calls it, but I think it's the pinnacle, um, where people follow you because of who you are Mm. and what you represent, not, it's not just about what you've done for them or your title or because they have to, or because they want to, or what you've done for the organization, but really what you represent as a person um, Mm. beyond your organization. And so for me as a leader, when I think about the issues that HR teams face, it's not just about my company right? It's not just about what happens in these walls. When I think about things like inclusion, I don't like to talk about diversity because at the end of the day, it's really about being inclusive of, you know, of people of all different backgrounds, socioeconomic, uh, of different ethnicities, religions, ages. And so I think when you're talking about leadership, it's not just inspiring people here, but it's inspiring my community and making a difference in the lives around me. And so I spend a lot of my time outside of my normal workday involved on various boards and nonprofits, because at the end of the day, I can recruit individuals of all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, all different ages, and they can have a really great experience here within my organization. But when they leave these walls, and they're no longer, you know, executive, they're who they are as a person and who people visually see, are they going to get the same respect in the community? And are they going to want to stay because their kids are respected? And so I pour a lot of my time into getting to know people who aren't like me and may who, you know, maybe they had a different upbringing or they're in a different socioeconomic area or English isn't their first language and understanding their experiences um, and connecting with other business leaders who are just as passionate about inclusion as I am in creating a better West Michigan so that people, when they come 
to West Michigan, especially from different backgrounds, that they want to stay here, right? And so, um, you know, a few of us a few years ago started a, an organization called GRIN, the Grand Rapids International Network, and bringing together individuals of all different backgrounds and helping people get to know them so that when they go to the grocery store or they go to a restaurant and they're not served because they have an accent, that those behaviors start to change in our community because we're banding together to make those experiences better. Um, at our organization, sometimes in the past, it's been bringing in tutors. It's allowing people to experience our HRS system in multiple languages and hearing our core values in multiple languages. Mm. It was uh, the last two summers bringing kids who are 14, 15, 16, and 17 into our distribution warehouse. Kids who were told that they're never going to go to college, that either they have a disability and they're never going to be some, somebody to giving them an experience and allowing them to do the things that they legally can do. But allowing our team members to watch and be inspired by some of these young kids and watching their work ethic and them show up every day. And that give and take, I don't know who is more inspired, the kids or the people that work at our distribution warehouse that we're learning and growing and watching kids who are told maybe they would never amount to anything because of their disability, realize that they have true abilities and that they can be somebody. And so it was exciting watching all these kids come back this year. Um, and even having my own daughter work within our organization, she started at 15 filing. <laughs> and this year she was doing, you know, um, working with product development and doing competitor analysis and research and international sourcing and working on sales and use tax and working in HR and helping with employee engagement with my HR director and working in our event space with um, people who are having events and them all going, wait a minute, when did you graduate from college? She's like, I'm going into my junior year in high school. But watching a kid who was used to texting, who was very book smart, but had a hard time communicating because that generation does a lot online and the schools aren't teaching Excel and they're not teaching some of those software softwares like, you know, Microsoft 365 and mm. watching her develop and the skills that I got to through my dad, but watching other people pour into her. Um, it's exciting to see the impact that our team members are having because while she was a, she's a bright person she's grown so much through those experiences, and I've watched the other kids the same way, but I get to see it in my own household. And, mm. um, that's, what's making a difference. It's mm. not just about making a difference here at convivial brands and supplying a mm. product to our vendors or our retailers or our customers, but we're making a difference in the next generation or in our community. We're giving people opportunity, people who might have never been given an opportunity to be a leader because maybe they didn't go to school. Um, maybe they weren't given the opportunity for college education and giving them the mentorship and the training internally and empowering them to elevate to roles that nobody in their family has ever been in. That's what, you know, jazzes me up and gets me excited. Um, so if people ask me, it, leadership isn't just about leading in your organization. If you're only investing in your organization, you're only going to make it, you're going to plateau at a certain point. Mm. But it's those outside relationships that really help you become that 
five, that level five leader that John Maxwell talks about. And that's what gets me to really focus on the things that I do every single day, that reflection, those um, clarity breaks in the morning to say, how am I going to continue to be a level five leader? Because we all slip, right? We all slip down to different levels to say, am I really being, am I bringing my whole self to work? Am I giving this my all? Or am I slipping in the areas that, you know, natural tendencies, you go back to different areas of leadership when you're under stress. So how can I show up and be that level five leader today? That's fantastic. You know, whenever I talk about life in the leadership lane, I talk about leading in the workplace, but also talk about leading in the community. And that's exactly what you're talking about. I love some of the employee experiences. You are, that's what you're talking about here. You're creating an employee experience. I mean, core values in different languages that so I've talked to a lot of high performers I hadn't heard that one yet right Um, yes that's fantastic you talk about core values we actually have a core value speech and we do not publish it okay but believe it or not when everybody else is speeding up their interview process to get people in because there's you know the great resignation and there's not enough talent out there And instead, we are actually making our interview process longer. And part of it is we have a core value speech. And our core values aren't who we want to be, but who we are at our core. And we actually read our core value speech as part of the interview process. And it's its own meeting. And if you don't subscribe to our core values, you can't work for us. And we hire and we fire to our core values. So you can have what we call the GWC. You can get it and you can want it and you can have the capacity to do the job. You can be a rock star. But if you don't subscribe to our core values, you can't be here. And I think when you find people who have the same or similar core values at their core or believe in your core values, you can teach anybody things that are missing in their skill set. But I can't teach you to be a kind person or put the team first. And I think as a leader, that particular part of that speech is what, you know, we all have a little bit of ego in us. But remembering that when we help each other win, we're going, you know, as individuals, sure, we all add value. But the collection of everything we can do together as a team far outweighs anything we'll do as individuals and remembering that. Um, and so we, I have core value speech right on my wall. We pull them out when we're having discussion, like, Hey, great job. You just hit on our core values. It's not just words on a Mm. wall. It's we're using them in our everyday life. Hey, you know, what do our core values tell us to do in this situation? How would we want to be treated? What, you know, how would, you know, we talk about team first, what does that look like? Um, And so that's become a huge part of Mm -hmm. how we lead our teams here and how we inspire um, and how we keep talent. I love that. And I, I, you know, everything you're talking about is uh, I'm sitting there going, well, that's why they have a very small uh, talent retention percentage, right? Of people leaving the organization. (laughs) I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. GWC. Get it, want it, have the capacity, but you got to have the core values. I love that so much. As a matter of fact, I remember going through the process of creating core values. You know, I know you uh, lead in the Michigan Sherm chapter 
And at Dallas HR, I remember when we developed our core values and we said, why do we want to have these? So it would help us make decisions on yes. everything that we do. Hey, I want to shift over to uh, another area because you're also leading the community. Uh, what's your role at Michigan SHRM and um, how do you approach leadership with a volunteer organization versus your business? Is it any different or do you lead the same? Um, I would say it's probably a little bit different just because, um, well, first I'll start off by sharing that I am the membership director for my term. Next year, I'm moving into the treasury role. And I think that role I'm really excited about because I love accounting and numbers. HR person who loves numbers, kind of, (laughs) kind of scary. Um, But I think membership for me, it's a little bit unique because I started as a SHRM at large member. I wasn't a local member. And um, that's really the tools that, that, that national SHRM gave me having, I wasn't, I was moving into an HR director role and knew nothing about half of the responsibilities in HR. And it was really going to those conferences and connecting with people at a much higher level and using the resources that got me there. And then connecting that back to local connections, even though I had moved into a COO role for a long time and wasn't necessarily directly in the role of HR, had HR pros working for me, um, I learned the value of those connections. And so when they said they needed a membership director, they had nobody on the west side of the state. And they said, Mary, you know, you actually have a little bit of a different take on this. Most people start at the local level and, you know, they're trying to get people engaged with national SHRM, we'd love for you to get involved. And so I actually did it in the middle of COVID. Um, And so that was really unique in working with individuals who are going, I don't want to be on another Zoom call. I don't, (laughs) I don't want to be in any more meetings. And and so um, while it's challenging, we have significantly increased our um, chapter's growth by 23%, which I think is pretty high in the middle of COVID. Um, but it's it's focusing on the things that people need. And HR pros still need to connect with one another, they, the value of those relationships. And helping also people see, you know, the tools and the value of those tools that if you're using and investing, we can all belong to different things and we can all, you know, show up to a conference, but it's it's what you put into it, right? Yeah that really where you're going to get the value out of it. And so um, the relationships that I've built through being a membership director, sometimes I say, I feel like I'm getting more out of it than they're getting out of me. But, <laughs> um, and I, and I think it's because I love the people from SHRM. Like I mm. love the people who run the state. I love the people at the chapters. They inspire me to be better. Even these younger professionals have ideas and things that I've never dreamed of. And it's those ideas that really get me like, wait, what is this about? Yeah. You have video job descriptions. Tell me more. Um, and so I think as leaders, sometimes people think it's a destination, right? That they're getting to, but the reality is we can always be a better version of ourselves. And mm-hmm. even if you're sharing ideas, it's it's so funny. People would say, why do you want to share that idea, Mary? Somebody will steal it. Don't tell them because <laughs> they might be, and I'm like, the reality is anything that we learn in life, everybody's going to have their own little spin and take yeah. on it. But guess what? Two candles. We have them here. We actually manufacture our own candles right here in West Michigan. 
I can light another one and nothing happens. My, my candle does not dim by lighting another. Mm-hmm. And I think sharing those stories and allowing other people to share their ideas and not making it all about me um, is really what I think helps me lead in other areas of my life, including my Sherm, including on the foundation board uh, for U of M Hospital, including at you know Fair State University. I sit on uh, one of their local um, boards, as well as I'm an advisor for one of the, the colleges of humanities in the communications department. And so there are a variety of ways I serve, but it's really that listening and elevating others around me and having their voices be heard. Um, maybe who don't have a voice is my greatest ideas did not come from me, both in all of my leadership roles or even in my role as CHRO. It's that ability to really listen, but not just listen to respond, but listen to actually hear what people are saying. Um, that has been the most critical skill set um, in my career. Write this down. My candle does not dim from lighting another candle. Mary, this is so good. I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, we're going to have to have just another conversation <laughs> just about uh, experiences and what you're doing in the volunteer space. I know there's probably people listening right now going, I need to get a hold of her. We need to find <laughs> out what are they doing so she can light our candle too. This has been absolutely fantastic. Hey, before we shift over to it's time to accelerate, I want to ask you one last question. You've given a lot of great advice today. Uh, any advice you find yourself sharing often, uh, something that you learned throughout your career and you just find yourself sharing? You know, I think it's being authentic. Mm. Um, and as, a, as you elevate yourself throughout your career, it's really looking back and supporting other people. But more importantly, so many leaders only talk about their successes mm-hmm. and what went right and how great they are. And, you know, and at the end of the day, I believe that if we share our failures and our struggles and how we overcame them, Those are the things that are going to inspire people who may not Mm. think that they can get through something in life, whether it's a challenge at work, whether it's a personal challenge that they can't, they're never going to be X because of Y. If you can, as a leader, share the things that you have struggled through, it makes that journey so much easier for others. To be honest with you, it's the one thing that when I'm asked to speak, it's the hardest thing sometimes to speak mm. about mm. Um, because I'm reliving sometimes some very personal struggles and almost dying at a hospital and being told I wasn't going to leave alive. Um, but it's those things that somebody else in the audience needed to hear in that moment in time mm. to let them know that that's not, that moment's not going to define them. And so as leaders, I think it's so important that if you want to lead and inspire others to be great, it's, it's really sharing those stories um, to help people get through those difficult times. Cause we're not perfect. We all have struggles. In fact, the, the best leaders I know have a story. <laughs> yeah. So sharing those stories and being vulnerable, I would say, as you move through your leadership journey is so critical. That's so good. I know there's some people listening right now that need to hear what you had to say today. And they're right now writing it down and they're saying, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful to hear this message today. It's the right time, right season. 
And so I know that's helping a lot of people and I appreciate you sharing. This has been so wonderful. Hey, I told you the time was going to fly. It has it absolutely did. flown. I want to ask you a couple more questions as we sure. wrap up, as we go to it's time to accelerate. First question I like to ask, could you, would you rather read a book or listen to a podcast? Do you have any favorites? So I have a little bit of a commute. So I do like sometimes listening to various leadership podcasts, but I do have a favorite book. I actually have two favorite books. Okay. And they, that, I got my pen out. So my first favorite um, book is Thermostat Cultures by mm. Jason Barger. If you okay. haven't read it, um, it talks about being a thermostat um, and setting the temperature in the room um, versus a thermometer. And it's really great when you are thinking about how to develop a really great culture and the mm -hmm. control that we have over that as leaders. Um, but my other favorite book is The Way of the Shepherd. It's Seven Ancient Secrets to Managing Productive People. Um, and it's by Kevin Lehman and William Pentak. And believe it or not, it's a really cool book about how to be a servant leader. Um, but it's very inspiring. And um, I've probably read that book, oh, 15, 16 times, and <laughs> I get something different out of it every single time. And people will say, Mary, is it a religious book? Not really. Um, but it has principles about servant leadership and good reminders, um, just on how, how us as leaders we should be. I like how you shared that because I once heard Darren Hardy once uh, talk about how instead of reading 15 books, once you read one book 15 times, you'll get something different out of it every time. I just love how you said that. Okay. Uh, listen, you like, you're busy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You've got a lot of stuff going on outside of work, outside of volunteering, all that stuff. What energizes you? You know, I think the thing that energy energizes me the most right now is seeing my kids um, do really mm. great things and be great humans, despite the fact that there was a period of my career where I was at work the yeah. majority of my time. And I always used to think, gosh, my kids are going to grow up and be these horrible human beings because I wasn't there to help guide them throughout their lives, et cetera. Or I missed those pivotal moments. But watching them achieve greatness in different ways. They're both very different people, but watching them do really cool things beyond and, and, and actually, I don't even have to say certain things. Like people will tell me, oh, your daughter's going to say this. And I'm like, well, she's going on 17. I haven't heard that yet. <laughs> um, but watching, you know, watching just how they've learned through us through osmosis and yeah. being around us and watching them become really cool human beings. I think that gets me the most excited and inspires me to continue to show up in my life so that I can continue to be a good role model. Um, but I think what was really cool is my daughter, um, she got nominated for the National Honor Society and had to write a paper. And I got to read the paper and I'm thinking she's going to talk about something, you know, really profound. And, and I get this sent to me in the mail when she got offered or accepted into the National Honor Society and her paper was about me. Um, and that was, that was really cool um, as a mom, because if, as, as you recall earlier on in this conversation, I was failing in that area. So to know that she felt the way that she did 
Mm. I didn't have to be a stay at home mom to have that impact in her life. And, um, that was, that was for me a pivotal moment to say that regardless of how we work or how many hours we work or whether our title is mom, dad, stay at home, mom, stay at home, dad, we're part-time or full-time, we still have the ability to make a difference in the lives around us, regardless of how we do that. So, um, I thought that was just, that probably is the one thing that reminds me to keep, keep doing what I'm doing. Um, that I, that there are people watching those little people that will be crying at my funeral someday. (laughs) I love that. That's so inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. I know your daughter will appreciate that as well. Hey, last question we, uh, we have today, and that is one of my favorites. Mary, 10 years older, she's knocking at your door. Yes. And you're going to answer that door. What, what's she going to say to you? She's going to tell me to keep taking those risks, mm. to keep sharing those crazy ideas, to keep playing devil's advocate, um, to keep, you know, involving yourself in things that are non-traditional HR that can really have a big impact on the organization to continue dreaming and thinking big. Um, sometimes I have the craziest and most wild ideas. Um, but I had one recently that I said, I want to get involved in the operations. We didn't have an operational leader in one of our businesses and we had to make up for a pretty big def- deficit that they experienced because of COVID no fault of their own. And we were going to end the you know year um, in December, not hitting our goals. And right now we are um, actually, we're close to exceeding that goal um, instead of having a significant deficit. And it was an area that you know, normal people would be told to keep their nose out of, stay in HR, don't get involved in operations. And um, I had some crazy ideas that worked. And um, not only did it get me excited about what I'm doing, uh, but it inspired and in out of it came three new leaders um, mm-hmm. that I was able to mentor and elevate through that process. And that, that was a really cool experience because there were a lot of bumps and people who said, well, what do you know about this? And um, it was fun to watch people's opinions of HR, of how HR can be a strategic thought leader transform. And so, like I said, keep having those crazy ideas, keep taking risks, because those risks that I've taken throughout my life that felt like, I don't think I can be that HR director. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about HR. Um <laughs> have been the most rewarding in my life. So um, I don't know what next risk is around my corner, but I never thought I'd be at Convivial Brands after all those years in healthcare. And now I'm working in international business and and distribution and wholesale. So um, who knows where the next journey will be, whether it's here or anywhere else. You just, you never know where life will take you, but be willing to take that risk. That's a very wise 10 years older, Mary Dale. I love that taking risks, dreaming big, uh, thinking big. I just, I love all of that. I appreciate you coming on the show today and just sharing your wisdom, your inspiration. Uh, Hey, if somebody, somebody heard something today and they're like, you know what? I want to learn more about that. Maybe it's something you're doing in the workplace for the employee experience. Maybe it's something you're doing in your volunteer work. How would be the best way for someone to connect with you? I am a big LinkedIn user. Okay. So um, 
definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also reach out to me by email, mary.dale at convivialbrands.com. I, as long as you don't go into spam, I do respond to people. Even if you're a salesperson, <laughs> I will at least acknowledge I received it if I do receive it. But um, I'm big on connecting. Uh, I don't want to be sold with a, you know, email that's 20 pages long initially. Um, but I do believe in connecting, you know, over the phone, I'm happy to schedule a call. Um, some of, some of the people who've reached out to me throughout my career now happen to be some of my best friends and they're from all over the U S. So, um, I do believe in real connections and hopefully meeting in real life at some point. Um, but that's the best way to start. Um, a conversation with me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I, again, I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm so Thanks glad for having we, me. I'm so glad we met, uh, and I appreciate our friendship. And I'll I'm going to put the uh, the books and all the information we talked about in the show notes so people can access that. And again, you're listen, you're driving in the leadership lane, and uh, I just encourage you to keep going, keep inspiring because you're doing some amazing things. And I can't wait to share this conversation. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll talk to you later.